both the heroin and the porn addicted brain look very similar and they're pockmarked, almost like Swiss cheese. That's because the heroin and the dopamine associated with pornography has just been destructive. So what starts as a moral problem, a sin problem, does with enough use escalate to a physiological brain problem. Welcome to the Influencers Podcast. I'm Scott Young, co-host with Dave Donaldson, who is out on assignment today. We are here just to see the influence of your life increase. So you can be aware that you are on this planet to make a difference. And we have a great podcast plan today. We all know how the fairy tale ends. You could probably finish the quote, and they lived happily ever after. Is that possible? Is it just a myth? And what do you do if your life is not living happily ever after? Well, sweet Darla Joy and I, my wife and I have been married for a few years, more than a few, and we found that relationships are hard work. And our guest today, Dana Gresh, is known for working on her relationship. She and her husband fought for their marriage, and they discovered something better than romance, a love that endures. She's a best-selling author and a sought-after speaker, a best-selling author with books like uh, And the Bride Wore White, Lies Young Women Believe, and Lies Girls Believe. Co-host of Revive Our Hearts podcast, which aims to help women and a wonderful um, adventure she's got into, True Girl, which is to help the relationship between women and their daughters, moms and daughters. What a beautiful thing to do. She has the True Girl podcast that helps to support that work. Her books have sold over 2 million. Uh, She um, especially helps relationships. And we're glad she's joining us from the beautiful state of Pennsylvania. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am honored to be here with you today, Scott. So you are married, and how long have you been married? Well, 33 years. Ah, How did you meet each other? Uh, We were in an advanced writing class in college at Cedarville University, and it was a peer-graded class, and my husband named our little group the Misplaced Modifiers. (laughs) I don't know. That's how his brain rolls. Was that attractive to you? Like, was it love at first sight? Uh, Was it a Uh, growing thing? You know, it's a funny thing. I remember the first moment I saw him and he had just returned from uh, spring break in Florida. He was on the tennis team. So his nose was peeling from his tan. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because they're just our sweet memories that we have about those early friendship days. And I was attracted to his wit and his humor and his incredible love for Jesus. Okay. So you were both believers when you met each other? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And you have a book that's come out recently in February called Happily Ever After, and you do go into some difficult things. Happily Even your, After. Oh, sorry, Happily Even After. Thank yeah. You very much. That's a very important <laughs> correction. Your new book, Happily Even After, which has come out in February, yes. you do go into some difficult times yeah, that very... you and your husband have been through. And uh, you, could you feel free to share those? Sure. Um, I don't know how I feel, but we've chosen to share them. I don't know if I feel free, but the Lord has said, hey, this is a redemption story that needs to be told. Um, 
many years into our marriage, my husband came home. He was supposed to be picking me up for a hot date at the county fair. And I was just so in love with him that day because I had just injured my back and he had taken care of me for a week and just lavished love on me and attention. And I was feeling better. So he's like, we're going to get you out. And then he came home and he said, babe, I need to sit you down and tell you something. And we sat in our red leather chairs in my living room. And he said, I remember the first sentence. He said, I am trying to find my way back to God and you without breaking your heart. And I can't figure it out. And then he broke my heart. And he shared with me that his battle with lust and pornography had relapsed and he had uh, escalated and faced some really tough stuff. And um, that was the beginning of a long journey of redemption for us. Mm. So, so you said relapse. So there was, mm-hmm. you were 33, 33 years married. Mm-hmm. There was, did you know about the first incidences? Yeah, or? well, it was. Before we were married, he sat me down and he said, I want to tell you a battle that's going on in my life. It started when he was 13 years old, pornography in his home, and he just had never been able to really, um, he he wasn't binging like a lot of young men do. He was just on this cycle of every month he would seek something out. Mm-hmm. And he believed because he was a virgin, this will go away when I get married. We found out that there's a lot of couples that believe that it made yeah. a lot of sense to me, but yeah. it didn't go away when we got married. And it was devastating that first year. Um, and we got into treatment and care right away. And he did mm-hmm. walk in victory, but the, you know, p- pornography and lust have almost nothing to do with sex as mm-hmm. God designed it. So mm-hmm it's a really naive thought to think you'll get into a marriage relationship, start having sex and that desire will go away. They're not really the same desire is what we've learned. So um, walked in victory for a lot of years, not that he walked with his mind completely free of temptation, but got to a certain point where he relapsed and escalated. And when you sat in those red chairs and you heard this, news? How did it make you feel? What were the emotions you had? I was numb. Um, Mm -hmm. And I sort of am thankful for that because I was able to go into problem solving mode. Um, I just kind of calmly said, hey, I need to think about this. I'm going to go for a walk. Mm -hmm. I went for a walk. I called a girlfriend. I was so grateful that I did. Uh, I think a lot of women walk through, they're embarrassed they don't, they want to protect their husbands. So they don't mm-hmm. want to tell a friend. I didn't do that. I just reached right out to a girlfriend. And I think that's one of the wisest and best things you can do. You can't face a battle like this alone. Mm-hmm. And she, it's funny because she took me to a familiar Bible verse that I feel like no matter how familiar you are with the Bible, you, you're going to know this one. And it's um, uh, his word, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Like it's, mm-hmm. we grow up knowing that one, right? Mm-hmm. And she prayed it over me. She said, Lord, I just pray. Deanna doesn't know what to do next. Would mm-hmm. you, you promised her your word is a light, lamp to her feet and a light to your path. Will you let her get into your word and show her what, what the next steps are? And um, the tears flowed then. God's word sort of broke my heart, broke the hardness of my heart. And I cried, but I got into the word and made some really good decisions in the next few days. So, so you didn't feel like I'm abandoning ship. I'm, 
I'm done? Or did that go through your mind? You just said, how are we going to get yeah. through this? So here's the advantage I've had. Um, mm-hmm. I've spent about 30 years of my life studying sexual theology and sexual social science, behavioral science related to, to sexuality. So I know I knew some things about pornography that were really helpful for me to understand that I wasn't the only victim in this story, mm-hmm. um, that my husband was too. Pornography is one of the most addictive substances that you can deal with. Now, you might say substances. It's not really mm-hmm. a substance, is it? But it creates dopamine in your brain. Mm-hmm. And if you compared the functional image scan of a healthy brain with both a pornography addict and a heroin addict, you would see, first of all, that the healthy scan is smooth, that the brain is intact, and both the heroin and the porn-addicted brain look very similar, and they're pockmarked, almost like Swiss cheese. That's because the heroin and the dopamine associated with pornography has just been destructive. So what starts as a moral problem, a sin problem, does with enough use escalate to a physiological brain problem? So, so you had been studying this before mm-hmm. your husband talked with you? Yeah, because I um, I have a story of my own sexual brokenness as a teen girl, and that healing journey led me to write a book and minister to teen girls. And there are lots of girls struggling with pornography these days mm-hmm. too. Roughly 30% of women in the church have not a casual encounter with pornography, but a pornography problem, an ongoing stronghold of pornography, some of them addiction. And in for men, it's about 70% of them. So just thinking, uh, because we have people listening, there's some of the people that are listening when they go, yeah, I'm in those percentages. Yeah. I, I'm a, a young woman or an older woman. I'm a young man or older man. And uh, I've never got victory. Um, so your husband, yeah. first of all, you dedicated to your marriage. I don't know if that was the word of God that kept you there or just stubbornness, but you mm-hmm. stayed with him and yeah. you fought for your marriage. Um, what were the things that helped him move forward and helped you move forward to a, just a happier place, happily, even after? Well, one of them really is community. Um, so many people try to do this on their own. Uh, for pornography addiction, um, loneliness is a really big companion of that pattern and behavior. So generally shame. Uh, sometimes people are like, man, I've tried this over and over to kick this and I can't. They might go from person to person for accountability, just never works. And so they they finally are just so embarrassed and so full of shame that they stop telling anybody. Sometimes wives are embarrassed for their husbands or embarrassed of their husbands, partners. Um, But if you have a porn problem in your home, you also have a loneliness problem in your home. And one of the ways you can erase that is by bringing community into your battle. And that's a hard thing to do, but it's one of the best things you can do. Mm. You know, I believe that when we confess our sins in prayer, we're forgiven. But the Bible says that when we confess our sins to each other, we're healed. So God forgives us, but he gives us each other for the work of healing our hearts and healing our hearts of addictions and healing our hearts of shame. You can't do it alone. You've got to tell someone. 
So does that mean that you were talking to other women about this problem and he was talking to other men about this problem? Did you, was it all together? How do the, what do those conversations look like? Yeah, um, we told key people. I think it's important not to tell a wide swath of people because opinions can distract you from the work you do for your own heart. I've seen people that tell a lot of people and, you know, you should leave him and he should do this and you should do that and all these opinions. You You need people who have understanding about the problem. Clinical understanding is, Mm -hmm. we think, a real important thing if there's been an ongoing long-term battle because you're dealing with addiction at that point. You might not want to call it that. We just did a a workshop Monday night, my husband and I, for couples who are in the throes of this battle. And we asked them, how long have you been fighting this? Under one year, one year to five years, five years to 10 years, or 10 years or more. 42% of the people in that workshop have been fighting this for 10 years or more. I don't have to ask them a lot of questions to know that's addiction at work. Mm -hmm. When there's a cycle you can't break, when you're powerless to stop and you want to, when there are consequences to your life, maybe they're financial, maybe you're using so much pornography that you're not doing your obligations, you're struggling at work, um, when there's consequences. And when you just can't stop it if you want to. You're not in control. It's in control of you. That's an Mm -hmm. addiction and you need clinical help, but it's got to be rooted in God's truth and God's word, or it's not going to be truly successful. So what does that mean? Clinical help and then the overlay of spiritual, scriptural, uh, faith. How do those two interact and help move people forward? What does that look like? Well, here's here's why clinical help is important. And by clinical help, um, mm-hmm. maybe it's a therapist or a provider that has special training. There are actually, they're called CSATs. They're sex and addict. They're, they're specialized in therapy for sex addicts. Mm-hmm. They have just really good understanding of some of the chemical ramifications. But it's not just the user, whether it's the husband or the wife. The partner... If you're battling this for 10 years or more, the stats tell us that they're probably experiencing what's called betrayal trauma, and their brain probably isn't working as well either. Um, 70% of wives of husbands who have a pornography addiction have symptoms of post-traumatic stress. That doesn't mean they have a disorder. That doesn't mean they Mm -hmm. have a syndrome or or a diagnosis. It means something similar is happening. So brain fog joint and muscle pain, um, an inability to connect, sleeplessness, a lack of appetite or overeating, all kinds of symptoms. But what those symptoms are telling you is your brain's just not working well. I experienced mm-hmm. those symptoms. I know mm-hmm. what that's like. So I didn't, I didn't need a well-meaning friend at my church saying, you just need to forgive him. I needed mm-hmm. stabilized so that when I forgave him, it could be done well and thoroughly. And he didn't need someone to say, just stop it. <laughs> Cause we'd had yeah. a lot of that and it wasn't working. We yeah. needed somebody who said, these are the stages of addiction. These are the escalations. Here's what you need to do at this stage. So there's some clinical understanding that's really important. If this is a cycle that's been going on for a long time. But if you look at the stats of the recovery industry, they're terrible. Yeah. Um, single digits for inpatient treatment for sex and pornography addiction. We're talking one to 9% 
recovery rate out of some of the world's best clinics. But when you start to put the power of God, the power of prayer, the power of the Holy Spirit, and all of that into the hands of someone with clinical understanding, you get them out with a very different outcome. So someone's listening. Are you saying that they could go to a clinician that may not be spiritually rooted and find additional spiritual help? Or do the two, in your estimation, need to be married together? My opinion is that they have to be married together. Um, Bob and I tried because we had fought this battle before and we were mature believers. We felt like, let's send them to the gold standard of sex addiction therapy because this has been a lifelong battle. Yes, there have been great seasons of sobriety, but we're going to, this is once and for all. So we borrowed some money, tens of thousands of dollars, and sent them to one of the best clinics in the country. And um, shortly into that, he realized this isn't working. Mm. God's not in it. My wife's Mm. not involved. I want both of those things as part of my treatment. And we left. And you know what? When we left, of course, they weren't happy. And they said, you're not healthy. You're not well. You're not finishing the treatment plan. But I had already asked them, um, you know, why am I not involved? You promised me that I would be. And they kept canceling my weekend with them. But then I said, okay, I want to know this. What is your recovery rate? And they didn't know. And I said, I'm paying you upward past more than $50,000. You need to know the recovery rate. So we moved Bob. We didn't leave treatment. We moved him to a treatment center that had clinical care that was married with scriptural care and prayer. Mm -hmm. So I believe they need to be together. And our, our journey changed dramatically when we started treatment that way. So someone's listening and they are saying, you know, my God, my God, that's me. (laughs) Um, Their their spouse may or may not know. Um, Steps to move them from the brokenness that they are experiencing to a a healed, more whole healed life. Mm -hmm. What, What kind of things can we say to them? Yeah. Well, Bob and I actually are doing a limited series podcast to take, we believe there's like seven key beliefs that are incredibly important. And they're not just beliefs, but there's actions associated with them. Mm -hmm. Uh, As an example, one of them is honest confession is the beginning of healing. Okay. So in this, in the recovery workplace, this is called disclosure, full disclosure. Mm -hmm. And it's a very painful thing. It's a very hard thing for both people. But remember I said pornography problems are accompanied by loneliness problems, right? And there's a lot of shame associated with that loneliness and isolation. And the bigger the porn problem gets, the more that individual hides and doesn't tell anyone. And really the remedy for that is telling someone and remaining loved in, mm-hmm. in spite of everything that's broken. So that's hard. And there are many women or partners of addicts who say, I don't want to know the truth. I don't want to know everything. It'll be too devastating. But the truth can be devastating. But the Bible says, if you are truly my disciples, you'll abide in my word and you'll know the mm-hmm. truth and the truth will set you mm-hmm. free. Now that verse is really talking about Jesus. Jesus mm-hmm. is the way, the truth mm-hmm. and the life. Jesus will set you free. But the facts also matter. The language of Jesus is truth. The language of the enemies of our soul, Satan, 
is lies. The Bible says that Satan was a liar and the father of all lies. We see in the Mm -hmm. book of Genesis that this Satan comes in the form of a snake. And what does he say to Eve? Does he say truthful things to her? No, Mm -hmm. he says deceptive things to her. So the truth, though it can be painful and it's not pain-free, is never destructive. It is always the route to freedom. But again, someone with some clinical wisdom and biblical care is going to be able to guide you through that process in a way that's safe and healthy, not destructive. So how does someone find that resource? Yeah, that's a really hard thing to do. On the podcast, we're interviewing um, individuals who are a part of our journey um, Mm -hmm. and recommending some of our best uh, places that, that we like to recommend for treatment. One of the things that we think is really helpful is intensive therapy. I don't know if you, have you heard of the intensive model of therapy? Mm-hmm. Yes. So I don't know how you feel about that, but for Bob and I, the traditional model of one hour a week, 50 minutes, we would get deep enough into an issue that we were both kind of splayed open emotionally mm-hmm. and our time would be up. And we would leave fighting and we would Mm -hmm. fight through the week because it never was kind of resolved. But when we moved to the second therapy center, we did three and a half hours of counseling a day for two weeks straight. So at the Mm -hmm. end of three and a half hours, our clinician, our, our surgeon had cut us open, diagnosed something, cut out the unhealthy stuff, you Mm -hmm. know, given us some amnesia stuff and sewed us back up and sent us off talking instead of fighting. And it, and then we were able to do some traditional therapy to continue our work. So we have a collection on our podcast happily, even after of places that we recommend for intensive therapy that is both clinical and biblically based. Yeah. So it's not a website that people can go to and find these resources. The best way you're saying is to connect with your podcast and then, yeah, you can you can listen to Happily Even After. The book Happily Even After also has some of those places listed in it. And I bet if you did a little research, there might be some intensive clinically based Christian therapy in your area. It is hard to find, but getting those there. three things together, getting those three things together, getting those three things together, intensive yeah. scripture. Like, yeah, yeah. But again, when you get to the place where you're decades into this battle, or two decades for Bob and I, it was more than a decade. Yeah. You just got to do what it takes because do you want to live your life continuing to be that broken or do you want to set, do the hard work, invest the money and the time and come out of it whole and healthy and moving in wholeness and health for your family. That's what we decided we wanted to do. So this red chair conversation was how long ago? Well, I don't really say that in the book. Oh, okay. You don't have to say anything you don't <laughs> want to But it was quite out. a while ago. I'm just yeah. wondering, like, okay, your husband now is walking free. Yeah. I'm just looking for the time frame. So yeah. Yeah, he's been walking in freedom for quite a while. And he would tell you that he will never be, he can't walk in sobriety unless he's tethered to godly men and he still is part of 12 steps groups. He still sees a therapist once a week. Um, but my husband comes from a long line of addictive personalities. 
And so he has a lot of guidelines in his life to make sure that he continues to make wise decisions. The main reason we don't put a timestamp on it is because some of the hardest stuff happened in conjunction with some family events that we want to just protect our family, but it's been a long time. And here's the thing, you know, that broken brain that I talked about, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. my husband's brain is healing. See, I wanted to ask that question. So I was going to say, you've got this pocky brain that they can yeah. scan. And so it gets better. It gets better. And that of course takes time. You know how a smoker's lungs can heal, uh-huh. but it, it takes time. So um, many years into the battle now, um, Bob's off a lot of medication that he was on that we thought was because he had a depression problem, and he did, and he had an anxiety problem, and he did. But which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Was it the porn creating those things, or were those Mm -hmm. things creating the porn? I don't know. What I do know is that I have a present man. I have a man whose um, brain is peaceful. He sleeps better. Um, the brain is malleable, so it is, has neuroplasticity, you know, it changes and Mm -hmm. it can change if you get the Mm -hmm. right help. And I'm seeing that happen in my husband's life. And and the scripture talks about our mind being renewed. And I think wherever God finds brokenness, he, he would like to bring redemption and he'd like to bring healing. And uh, your, I think the word you use is redemption for your relationship yeah. now. It's a redeemed relationship. And when you say that, what does that language mean to you? Oh, it's such a precious word to us. Um, so redemption is the act of buying back what was in bondage, yeah. buying back what was. So, you know, um, Jesus uses that language. The Bible uses that language to buy us back from the bondage of our sin. And the Bible uses the language of being slaves when sin is overwhelming our lives. And listen, that word really fits someone who has an addiction. They are enslaved Mm -hmm. to it. They're in bondage to it. And the Bible also tells us that the only one capable of buying us back from sin is Jesus, his death on the cross, because he was a sinless, spotless lamb of God, he can die in our stead for our sin. And through that death, our receiving of that free gift of that death, we can be redeemed. So at the end of the day, even if there's a physiological brain problem, even if there's chemical imbalances, even if there's, um, you know, brain trauma and a pockmarked brain, it, it is a sin issue. Looking at pornography is a sin issue because God created sex to be an intimate connection between one man and one woman Mm -hmm. in the context of marriage. And the only one who can redeem us from sin is Jesus. So if you do not involve him in your therapy process, you're maybe going to get recovered. But recovery isn't something that can make you a new creation. And that's what's happened in my marriage. My marriage is a new creation. My husband is a new creature. And um, we're just not the same people. I just wrote down, don't settle for recovery, go for redemption. Yeah. That's, yeah, it's so good. And now you had said, you'd mentioned briefly that there were seven essential beliefs. And you mentioned I think the first one was just confession or you had yeah. a different name, word for yeah. it. But what were some of the other? And how do people find what those seven essential beliefs are? Well, um, they are in the book and they're also... Yep. Each the, the podcast is a limited series podcast. So we go through one on each episode, 
But one of them, of course, is um, emotions are an essential ingredient of intimacy. And Say that again. Say it again. We'll listen closely. Yeah. Emotions are an essential ingredient of intimacy. Generally, um, one of the things that Bob and I noticed when he was really acting out is we weren't intimate. For example, we couldn't pray together. Prayer is a very intimate thing. It's a super intimate thing. We weren't praying together. Um, There wasn't eye contact because there was shame. You know, that's too intimate. Um, There wasn't talking about our day and how we felt. All of that was encrusted. I mean, I should say that I kind of felt like something was going on, but instead of going to him and boldly facing it, I, in my medication of choice was workaholism. Mm -hmm. So we were both hard hearted and we weren't feeling, we were medicating our pain and our fear and our isolation and our loneliness. And the way through that is to relearn emotional intimacy. We just, for the podcast, we, um, we, we just yesterday interviewed a Christian sex therapist. It was so fascinating. Um, but she talked about how many times somebody who has any kind of sex addiction, they recommend a period of no sex at all. Sometimes I hear 90 days a lot. And I, I've always kind of questioned that. I was like, why is that? I don't get that. And she said, because porn and sexual addiction is always divorcing the emotion, the intimacy of the relationship from Mm -hmm. the physical act of sex, always. And you have to push pause on all the behaviors and how your body is physiologically reacting to stimulus so that you start to enter into sex through intimacy, not just through physical Uh, arousal. And so the reason you stop for 90 days is to, and she said, we have couples just look into each other's eyes for five minutes. And my husband was like, that seems like an eternity for a man. And she's like, that's the point is you're relearning your, that brain, the broken brain, we're Mm refixed, we're training Mm -hmm. it, we're fixing it. And then you might hug for 20 seconds. And then you talk about your feelings. And we're like, so this actually makes sex better. She's like, this actually makes sex better. Um, intimacy is a really big, important of the part of the battle. That's God's design. Yeah. That sexuality is spiritual, essentially mm-hmm. spiritual, and it is to increase intimacy. Um, that w- even the biblical language that we become yeah. one flesh is uh, yeah, uh, just God's calling that that's what it should be a joining together. That the the first time the word, well, the, I think it's the first time sex is referenced. In the maybe kind of in in Genesis 4 1, it says, um, Adam lay with his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth. And the Hebrew word there was Adam yada his wife Eve and became pregnant and gave birth. And the word means in Hebrew to know, to be known, to be deeply respected. (gasps) Not one mention of the physical at all. It like skips over all the physical. It's like, the point of this is the intimacy. It just so happens that there has to be a plugging in. You know, I said to my husband, this is like, what this is like is if there, we were in a dark room and we plugged in a lamp and we all got so excited about the plug in the wall. 
we wouldn't get excited about that. We'd be excited mm. about the warmth of the light and the glow of the light and the ability to see each other. We so don't understand what sex is. Well, I've, I've, I'm going home and just saying to sweet Darla Joy, my, my beloved wife, I'm, I'm going to yada you. I, like I love I love that you call her sweet darling joy. That is beautiful. Oh, she we're 38 years together. Mm. Um and uh, um we just talked to somebody on the podcast married 61 years and these are goals for us. Yeah. Uh, I wear two wedding rings, one on either hand because after 25 years I signed up for the next 25. Aww. And uh it's just yeah, and I'm really glad for you and Bob that you've been been through healing and and that's the very nature of god and so let me just ask looking back over the you know a lot of things now what are some of the two or two or three things one or two things or three things that you wished man i really wish we would have known this when we were starting out or maybe even before we got married that you really wished you knew now that you knew you knew now now that you wish you knew then well first one that we've been just sounding the alarm for these young couples that are writing to us and saying, you know, we're in our twenties. We just got married. It's a little porn problem, but it started 12 years ago. It's not going away. It will escalate. Period. You either do something about it to stop it. You don't just get over something that's evil in your marriage. You get it out of your marriage because if you don't, I promise you it will escalate. That's what the research says, and that's what we experienced. So mm. we're just kind of sounding that alarm because we all think we're immune to that. So don't be complacent. The other thing, I, w- I think that Bob and I would both say that when you tell your community that you're struggling with this, you aren't going to be rejected There are people that are going to come out of the woodwork to love you. You're going to find out who your true friends are. You're also going to find out how not alone you are. Hmm. This is not the minority of couples in the church struggling with this. This is the majority. And it's time for us to stop letting Satan win this battle. We've got to drag it into the light. We've got to start Hmm. to put faces and names and addresses to the stats so that we get mad enough to do something about it. This is an enlightening, challenging, uh, and and it's a spiritual battle. That's what I feel over the whole thing. And I, I there there are people listening now, and they're just hoping that they could find help, hoping that they could find healing. Uh, we want to refer them, of course, to you as a resource to your podcast. And I think the seven essential beliefs are in happily even after. That's yep. where they are to to get this material. But uh, could you could you say a prayer at least that mm-hmm. something would start in yeah. lives and marriages that are listening that this topic could be redemptive? Yeah, I would love to. Lord Jesus, you are our healer. And I just pray, Father, that anyone who's listening, who's given up, who doesn't have hope left, would hear the redemption story of Bob and Dana Gresh Mm -hmm. and believe that the story could be theirs too, because it can be through Christ. 
Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them in the Lord. I pray that they would get into your word because it does say it's a light to your path, a lamp to your feet. And Lord, that doesn't mean that it gives us the whole plan, but it shows you the next mm-hmm. few steps. Yeah, yeah. And that's all they need is the next few steps. So help them to be drawn into your word, be drawn into community and find the help that they need. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let the church say Amen. That was so good. And Dana, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, I really hope people listen deeply, maybe re-listen to this because there was a lot of great material and find hope and healing because the stronger and wholer you get, the greater influence you will be. And that's what this podcast is all about, that you're called to be light in a dark world. You're called to be salt in a world that needs your flavor. For the Influencers Podcast, I'm Scott Young. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Influencers Podcast on the Charisma Podcast Network. If you enjoy our content, we would love for you to subscribe and have the opportunity to tune in to future podcasts. You can follow us on all social media platforms at the Influencers Podcast Official. You can stay up to date, hear more inspiring content, and unlock your full potential as an influencer. Remember to use your influence to create lasting change that draws the world closer to Jesus.